how's it? How's it? How's it all? Welcome to Cup of Taboo. You're all welcome here. Yay. I'm Tyler and I will be your host for today and every other day. <laughs> I hope everyone's doing well. I am doing fantastic on this lovely Tuesday evening. It's been, it's been a week. It's been a week, she said on a Tuesday. <laughs> First of all, I want to thank everybody so much who has tuned in to the podcast so far and whoever has listened and left recommendations for me. I really do appreciate it and it really helps me and I love getting suggestions. I love hearing all of your opinions. Please carry on doing so. I, like I said, really enjoy it. Now, today I want to talk about some interesting sexual fetishes and sexual practices. Yay! Exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Please note, um, there is no judgment coming from me, even though it might sound like it at times. I just haven't heard of all these things, and I, it's all—it's all new to me. It's all an interesting, exciting thing, and I just want to share it with everyone. And I hope that everybody learns something. And if you happen to have a cool fetish or interest in this sense please let me know like i'd really love to to hear about it you can be anonymous and like maybe if you want i can talk about it in the next time i do this if i do this again so without further ado i hope that you are ready for your weekly dose of strange interesting and unusual served in your cup of taboo First off, just so you know, there is a difference between fetishes and kinks. Now, according to the interwebs, a kink is what arouses a person that is not considered the sexual norm, and a fetish is a sexual act that is nearly always necessary for a person to become aroused and enjoy the sexual activities. So basically, one is if someone likes to do something and the other one is someone that has to do something to get aroused. For example, if you hear your neighbors baking the potato and you get turned on, that's kinky. But if you need to hear or see someone else doing the devil's dance to get aroused, then that's a fetish. Now, I'm going to come up. I'm not going to come up. I'm going to see if I can find more of those because they're fun. Uh, to start off, I want you to know that I am most probably going to butcher some if not all of these words because they are fancy science words and I am not fancy science person. <laughs> you will probably recognize a few of them as well in their non-scientific way or their scientific way, whichever. But yeah, let me know how many of these you've heard of and, you know, what you think. Also, you guys, there are a lot of fetishes out there and I mean I I'm gonna need to do a lot more of these it seems so follow subscribe and like any of the other things that one can do to a podcast and maybe also on Instagram and social media and Facebook and we can we can chat about this more it'll be fun also there's a pretty cool podcast social media style platform thingy called reason which I'm on now as well you can you can totally download the app and follow me there if you want to but let me stop yep yapping and let's get into it this is in no particular order 
this is just going according to as I found the words uh, I listed them and sort of just started so number one on my list is called agalmatophilia agalmatophilia okay now that I've probably said that incorrectly this is the sexual attraction to a doll statue mannequin or other similar inanimate object person who has agalmatophilia an um, agalmatophilia if you will is into either performing sexual acts with the objects or they can get off by seeing sexual acts between two inanimate objects I, I'm still kind of trying to figure that one out I don't know if it's that like you know when you were a kid and you used to take Barbie and Ken or Barbie and Barbie or Ken and Ken or what, whichever I'm not I'm not making any assumptions and you used to like you know I'm doing the hand movement where you used to like make them hump each other <laughs> I don't know if that's like what they mean but I'm assuming that's what they mean, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, or they also, another one, is they desire to either turn someone into or be turned into an inanimate object. So this is a part of a wider condition known as object sexuality, which is individuals who develop deep emotional and or romantic attachments to specific inanimate objects or structures. Many forms of this include actual sexual contact, with the inanimate objects and fantasies of having sexual encounters with the objects themselves or sexual arousal from thoughts of being transformed or transforming into an object. Um, it has been claimed that for some agalmatophiles, the idea of immobility or loss of control is what is arousing. So there's a couple examples that I found which were really interesting. So probably the first reported case ever was by Richard von Kraft Ebbing, which I think is the coolest name in the world, just saying, in his 1877 text, Psychopathia Sexualis, which, by the way, I'm reading. It's very interesting. This guy had some thoughts. Let me just tell you that much. But here he wrote about a male gardener who had fallen in love with a statue of Venus de Milo, Venus de Milo, Venus de Milo, I don't know how to say that, but you know which one I'm talking about. And he was discovered attempting to have sexual intercourse with it. Yup, that's, that's what happened. The next two cases were documented by Dr. Brenda Love. Also, such a cool name. I wish my name was cool like that. Richard von Kraft Ebbing and Brenda Love. In her 2005 book, Encyclopedia of unusual sexual practices. Now the first case was a 34 year old man who at the age of 12 years became obsessed with a life-size museum statue and he later went on and bought two small statues he spotted in a window shop and began regularly masturbating with them. And by the time that she had written the report uh, he had been masturbating with the aid of the statues for 22 years and was still doing so even though he was happily married. I don't know how I would feel about my partner. Hold on, Navi, I just want to quickly go get statues, you know. I've got to do it. <laughs> okay, babe, just hurry it up. <laughs> okay. Now, the, the next one is a case that involved a window dresser who developed an overwhelming urge to masturbate every time he saw the naked mannequins. Now, this appeared to be related to his first sexual experience when he was forced to perform fellatio on a man 
while sitting on mannequins. As time went on, he also developed desires to rub up against the mannequins, and he also liked other men to watch him do it. Now, this is something that's very interesting. You'll see as I go along. Uh, I haven't mentioned it for all of the paraphilias, but for a lot of them, it stems from childhood or early sexual encounters, and I find this fascinating. So that that one is that they he obviously had a, an experience in his youth that was, I mean, terrible, but it went on to develop into a paraphilia. According to some psychiatrists or psychologists, the sexual stimulation results more from a need of control and sexual gratification without emotion from either counterpart. It can be easily misunderstood as a shallow, cruel, and heartless depiction of sexual stimulation. And although this may be true for some, it is not true for all. Some use this as a way of performing derogatory acts without actually harming anyone. Agalmatophilia is a difficult concept to comprehend, especially when considering the mental states behind these fantasies. However, one should always consider whether the actions harm real individuals or not. In some cases, this is just a derogatory fantasy. For others, this is just sexual gratification that stems from loneliness or the lack of confidence in an ability to find a partner. I think that the people who can only get it on with those likes, like sex doll things sort of fall under this category. I don't know if you've watched those documentaries. They're very interesting. Like people have married their sex dolls. I just, how do you clean them? That's, that's just what I want to know. Do you get up in there? Do shit? I don't know. Next up, number two, is called podophilia. Now you're going to know this one. I know you are. Some of you may have even uh, taken part in this. <laughs> this is a foot fetish. Mm-hmm. The fetish with feet. The foot fetish, which is probably one of the most common fetishes there is. Uh, this can include the toes, ankles, and, you know, the whole toot. The whole toot and foot. No. <laughs> Some people are just turned on by looking at feet, while others are attracted to, like, painted nails, jewelry, adornings, adornments. <laughs> those sorts of things it's not necessarily exclusive to just the the feet part of feet is what i'm trying to say so they are considered one of the most common fetishes and in one study they found that almost half of the people they interviewed had some kind of foot fetish which is interesting because i am repulsed by feet i think they're creepy and gross they're like toes are like tiny little fingers that don't i don't like it (laughs) sorry sorry not sorry Everyone's got their things. So there are many reasons why people like feet. One being the fact that there are so many nerve endings in your foot or in feet that the physical sensations just seem to be so much greater. And another reason, as discovered by the neuroscientist, oh no, Vilanya Ramachandran. Vilanya Ramachandran director of the Center for Brain and Cognition at the University of California, San Diego, is that the brain areas associated with genitalia and pleasure and feet are right next to each other in the brain's body image map and that there could be some cross-wiring in the noggin in which the brain thinks feet are sexy. It makes sense. I mean, they're right next to each other in your brain's body image map and I suppose that it's like the wires got a bit crossed. I was like, oh, cool. Okay, yeah, some people are just turned on by boobs. 
this just happens to be feet, I guess. There is an example of criminal foot fetishism. Yep, you heard that correctly. Criminal foot fetishism. <laughs> there was an Arkansas man, identified as the Tosa Fairy, <laughs> who was arrested following a series of incidents in which he allegedly approached women in stores pretending to work there and he would comment on their feet and ask if he could suck their toes. <laughs> according to the cop, or according to the article, the culprit, his name was Michael Robert Wyatt, he had actually previously served prison time for pretending to be a podiatrist in order to fondle and suck women's toes <laughs> at a clothing store. <laughs> I'm sorry. Imagine this guy comes up to you and you're just like at the shop trying to find a pair of shoes and he's like, Hi there. Can I can I suck your toes? <laughs> or if you're like just standing and you've got your foot on that like little pedestal thing and like his mouth just comes out of nowhere and like wraps around your big toe. <laughs> uh wow. Okay. On to number three, we've got Pony Play. This one is interesting. I've seen a couple videos and I actually saw them before I even thought about doing this kind of thing. Pony Play is a form of bondage or BDSM, which involves a pony and a rider. The pony is often kitted out with the whole toot, that strap, saddle, blinders, reins, even a bit in the mouth. Sometimes they'll have a butt plug with a tail uh, sticking out of it to really add to that realism and uh, you know I've seen some that have got like bow hooves so they tank. it's the whole thing it's quite impressive they've actually even modified horse gear to fit humans for this specific thing or, or for this specific thing this is a type of animal play or zoophilia and there are also puppy rolls, kitty rolls, probably a whole bunch of other rolls that I don't know about, but the pony play is the one that I know now. I have seen puppy rolls before also on the same, I think it was on the same documentary that I watched for the the, the pony play. But yeah, the, the pony play is quite a wide, um, what's the word, community where they actually have big events for it and it's a whole, a whole, whole thing. Human ponies are generally divided into three categories. There are cart ponies, riding ponies, and show ponies. When you become a pony, you figure out which pony you want to be, and that's sort of what you're going to. You go into this space. It's like a you 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 go into a safe space in a way. You leave your own reality behind, and you take on the role of your pony. So cart ponies pull their rider on a cart. It's a two-wheeled little cart thingy, you know, like the carriages that the Romans used to ride in. Uh, they often also have to have their arms tied behind their backs while they do this. Um, I'm assuming that's got something to do with control and lack of it. The next one is the riding ponies have a human rider who rides them either airback, <laughs> airback, bareback, or with a specialized saddle. Uh, they are often on all fours, but they sometimes can do it standing upright. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm like getting old now, and if I had to carry someone on my back on all fours, I think my knees would 
literally just crumble into a gazillion different little pieces. And my wrists, all my joints just suck. suck. So these people must be... I wonder if they wear knee pads. I should check that out. Anyway, the last one is show ponies and they are extravagant. They take part in dressage competitions and they wear fancy costumes with cool manes and fancy tails. And they are most likely to walk standing upright, but some do opt some do opt to practice on their hands and knees as well, which is interesting. And I mean, they've got some really cool like horse mask thingies, uh, you know, like the the one from the memes. Except these are like sexy in a way. I didn't think I'd ever call a horse mask sexy, but they're made to look less goofy than that one in the memes and the one that you can buy at the Halloween store. So other important members of pony play are the range of people who stay human and work with the ponies. They're handlers. There are owners who are primarily the people who are in charge of the pony. So they are responsible for deciding how the pony will be taken care of, how it is presented and who gets to work with it. Then there are riders who are typically also owners but can also just be a rider as long as they have permission from the owner. There are trainers which as you might expect they train the pony and they are essential in helping with the conversion from human into pony which involves learning the correct behavior and demeanor. Lastly there are groomers who are those in charge of taking care of the pony which is things like washing, brushing, bathing, petting, all of those things. Now, in terms of the, I'm not a psychologist, but from what I've read on a bunch of websites, psychology websites, and in a bunch of psycho- psychological texts, in terms of the BDSM side of this, the the role of pony is the submissive role, and the role of rider or owner or human is the dominant role, and in one article that I read, which was actually a, an interview with a person who tried out pony play, they said that they were very like weirded out by it at first, and they were always into BDSM, and they would go to all these BDSM events and all that kind of stuff, and eventually they were introduced to the pony play, and they were really turned on by how strong and powerful the humans were in this scenario and they said that when they went into pony space they felt so much safer and happier and you know they were able to do these kinds of things and then when they eventually found a another pony partner and they actually had sex he described it as just two animals making love basically so that's an interesting one I don't know, it's, it's kind of like role play. I think you have to be very be able to get very vulnerable with your partner or with your partners in order to fully enjoy it. And yeah, I think that that's, you know, good for them. If, if you're into that kind of stuff, that's cool, man. Like, you do you, boo. I'm, I'm happy for y'all. The next one, number four, we have got Vorophilia. Vorophilia which is kind of interesting because I didn't know what it was and I didn't know it was a thing. Basically, it is cannibalistic fantasies or pe- cannibal play. What? Ah! 
It's for people who fantasize about eating other people and they bring this fantasy to life by role-playing. They can also fantasize about being eaten as well. So basically what people can do is they can mark out cuts of meat on their partner or themselves to represent what would be eaten in a cannibalistic scene while they're, you know, to get in the mood. Uh, there's also a website called Mookie's Kitchen, which has photos dedicated to this. Um, in these photos, you see beautiful naked women hung up like meat, hogtied with apples in their mouths, covered in gravy. <laughs> the huge, you know, a normal Tuesday night. <laughs> it's not safe for work, so don't look at it if you're at work. I'm just warning you, there is a lot of naked people on it. This also ties into food play, which is a pretty big deal in the fetish world, and it's, it's pretty interesting to me how food can be fetishized. But remember, kids, people are friends, not food. Please don't become a cannibal. I beg of you. Interestingly, eating the flesh of a human being is not considered illegal in the UK. However, killing and injuring someone to do so is absolutely illegal, so please take note. Also, don't eat people. One of the best known cases of this fantasy was a man named Armin Maywas. Maywas? He was known as the Rottenberg Cannibal. He was a man who had this fetish where he wanted to eat someone. So he posted online in chat forums, apparently requesting, you know, asking who wants to be eaten by me. I want to eat someone. Does somebody want to be eaten by me? And they were all cannibal chat forums which is sad that, that that's a thing but if people would say yes I'm keen but they would never follow through with it until one person actually did he had eventually gotten a another a male victim a German male victim named Bernd Jürgen Brand apparently my was maze maybe I'm just gonna call him Armin because I can't talk he had been fantasizing about cannibalism since he was a kid. I want to know where that came from, because I have never once ever thought about eating another human being. The thought repulses me. Uh, so basically, he, he posted around 60 adverts, and apparently around 200 men responded to this request. But there was only one that finally decided that he would actually meet him face to face. And in March 2002, they decided to meet at Armin's house. Their first cannibalistic act was for Armin to bite off Brand's penis. And then they cooked it together and ate it. Brand then drank lots of alcohol, cough syrup and took sleeping pills. And then was stabbed to death by Armin in his bath. The whole thing, well not the whole thing, there's the bath but was videotaped and it is even on videotape where brand is saying i wanted him to do this this is consensual just so you know he had that now the body was then stored by armin over time he ate about 20 kilograms of his uh, victim uh i don't know it's it's just a bit odd to me but that was a case that happened in 2002 which wasn't that long ago which is even more terrifying uh there's quite a lot of cases of cannibalism but yeah so the I, I, that one's just interesting because the people agreed to well the person agreed to it which kind of makes it 
cannibalistic play in in like the most extreme form i think so number five on my list is pseudo necrophilia <laughs> this one is very weird a little bit of judgment but this one is kind of like necrophilia which is sleeping with a dead person but legal <laughs> yay basically the partner of the person who is into pseudo necrophilia will lay completely still and be completely quiet while the partner has their way with them while they do the hanky panker. Sometimes they even soak themselves in really cold water so that they feel even more like a corpse. Yup. Because that'll lower the body temperature for a while. And that's creepy. I just, uh, it kind of feels like this is going to uh, end up creating some necrophiliacs, if you ask me. But that's just my opinion. Apparently, there are quite a staggering amount of people who work as mortuary assistants who are into necrophilia, which is gross. It's also assumed that the people who do this do it out of loneliness or ease of access to the bodies. <laughs> there is also a condition known as autonecrophilia, where one imagines themselves as being a corpse and uh, being a corpse and is sexually aroused by this so there have been a few reports of women who have cut their husband's penises off after they died and kept them they they like embalmed them and kept them in gold boxes and stuff i mean i don't know i don't know what that's classified as but he must have done something very right for that to happen <laughs> Number six on my list is salirophilia or salirophilia. Salirophilia? This is a fetish where a person gets sexual pleasure from soiling or disheveling the object of their desire, who is normally a very attractive person. So this includes rubbing dirt on them, messing up their hair or makeup, tearing their clothes, spitting on them. However, it does not include harming them in any way, just degrading them a little bit. You know, making them a little bit gross. This can also include defacing statues or pictures of celebrities, you know, for use at home later. Get that picture of Jennifer Aniston, smudge it up a little bit, take it home, love your uncle. You can also perform a sexual act in a dirty and messy area. And also spitting on someone can also be considered, you know, uh, there was an interview where a guy said that if there's no dirt around or anything like that, he'll okay with somebody spitting on like you'll be okay with spitting on somebody and like messing them up like that and he said that one of his ex-girlfriends while she was breastfeeding he would like pinch her nipples and then the breast milk would come out and he thought that that was great because he imagined that as semen and to him that was degrading and that turned him on so but i mean it's it seems pretty normal to me <laughs> when you no 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 but if you think about it, when you're watching a movie and you see the hot guy or girl walking, you know, they're hot and sweaty, their hair is messy, they've got a little bit of grease on them from working on the car, or a little bit of mud on them from running through the jungle. Yeah, you know, it gets your engines roaring a little bit. And like, hey, maybe we all have a mild form of salarophilia. Except, you know, we don't know non-salarophiles don't need that to 
theorize. It's just like nice to see sometimes, especially if that person is Dylan O'Brien or somebody else. <laughs> Why could I only think of Dylan O'Brien? But I mean, I'm not complaining. Uh, some say it is a form of BDSM in the act of soiling one's partner can be seen as degradation, as I said earlier, and mild sadism and dominance. But others say it falls into a category of its own. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Number seven on my list is sexual mummification. This is a kind of bondage where a person is wrapped in any kind of material that can be used to wrap a human-sized present, and that could be tape, bandages, cloth, straight jackets, duct tape, this cling wrap, whatever you can think of. Material. The possibilities are endless. So they end up looking like a mummy and they're either left bound in the state to experience like the sensory deprivation or they are stimulated but they can't move. So it'll be like a, it's a form of a sensory play. And eventually they'll be released from their wrappings and then the sex will happen. The sex of time will happen. Um, this is considered normally a form of uh, foreplay. So some people who enjoy this kind of bondage have also reported that they do like to be placed in coffins as well, and some also like being in small enclosed places. Ugh. That to me just freaks me out again. <laughs> I think most of my... I, I have phobias. I don't have phileas. <laughs> Almost all of them um, enjoy the lack of the ability to move, so that physical restriction. So they leave a small hole for the person to breathe. Sometimes they'll leave a small hole around an erogenous zone or two. So that could be the nipples, the genitals, the butt, the thighs, whatever. And then that can be stimulated to turn the person on. But it is all normally about the dominance and the submission and the giving complete control to your dominant partner. In 2017, there was a tragic case of mummification gone wrong where a well-respected businessman had a boy toy who was a young man who would engage in sexual bondage scenes with this other businessman. They would do this in a dungeon in the basement of the older man's house and they in this basement apparently it was just decked out think about the red 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 room of pain just in real life and a lot of stuff a lot of stuff so what had happened was they met and they went down into the basement of bdsm bdsm basement duh, 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 duh. so they started doing this bondage ritual and they put a metal chain around the neck and a penile chastity gauge over the genitalia that's a thing that prevents a man from getting an erection so it's like a cage that goes around the dong and and if they get an erection it, it says no basically so it's like it, it hurts and so it's another form of BDSM stuff so basically they then started with the, the mummification after that and they used plastic wrap and gaffer tape and he put small breathing holes by the mouth and nose and he noticed that his partner was not reacting properly and when he checked closer 
he realized that he wasn't breathing. So he called 911 and started cutting the plastic off, but unfortunately he passed away. They were not sure why. They did find drugs in his system. It was GHB that they had found in his system. However, the older man, the partner, said that he hadn't done any drugs, so he wasn't sure where that came from. But it was also, they, they, they say that they can't state whether it was the drugs or whether something went wrong in the mummification. So, yeah, that's, that's mummification for you. It's interesting. Number eight is autopederasty. Autopederasty, which I think is my new favorite one. <laughs> this is just a short one, but I thought it was very interesting. It is the near impossible emphasis on the near act of sticking one's own fully erect penis into one's own asshole. Yup. I mean, we've all thought, like, why don't guys just bang themselves? Well, mostly because they can't, but I mean, some people do it. I didn't know that. I was, when I read this, I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> There's even a porn movie which is dedicated to this, and it's called Go Fuck Yourself. And which this even has instructions on how to do the deed. But like, I want to know if you're giving people instructions and most people are like average, how? How do you expect them to put that there? It's just not gonna go there, my guy. <laughs> it just doesn't seem, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't have a dingus, a dong, a dongus. I don't have one, so I mean I wouldn't know, but I can imagine that it would hurt to like, try and force it the wrong. What I don't know. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know anatomy. Help me. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I guess there's a thing out there for everyone. There, there are similar things where it is called autofellatio, where a man gives himself head, Marilyn Manson, and autocunnilingus, when a woman goes to town on herself. I am the least flexible person in the world, and I don't think I could ever reach the lengths of that. I think that probably every human being has tried. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, each to their own. The next one is number nine on my list. This is called emetophilia. I think I said that right. Uh, it is nasty, so this is just a warning. This one is gross. This is known as erotic vomiting. Those are two words that should not be used in a sentence together ever. But <laughs> apparently there is a similarity between sex and vomiting, apparently. <laughs> Both orgasm and vomiting release hormones that make you feel better. Both of these acts are caused by a stimulus, and for men at least, both of these acts include fluids forced through a tube and out of an orifice. Yup. Now you're picturing it. The act of vomiting on your partner is known as a Roman shower. You're welcome. You can use that thing some. So emetophiles, emetophiles appear to be diverse in which element of vomiting is the most erotic or important to them. So for some it is the vomiting itself that is arousing. For those particular people uh, it has been claimed that the spasm ejaculation relief sequence in vomiting is erotically charged. 
And for others, sexual arousal is caused by either just talking about, collecting photographs, videos, seeing and or hearing others vomiting. And in extreme cases, some individuals may get sexually aroused by their partner vomiting on them. A few other extreme practices include induction of vomiting in your partner, which may be forced. And in these cases involving force, that's definitely got the sadomasochism vibes going on there, dominance and all that vibes. But uh, so yeah, there was a, a case study done on three women back in the long time ago. I didn't take down the date. Great research, I know. But the, the first case described a woman that didn't actually vomit herself, but she claimed she could reach orgasm by imagining someone vomiting in a hard and humiliating fashion. The second woman experienced an orgasm every time she vomited. The third woman said that, in quotes, vomiting for me is like an orgasm in that I'm tensed. I feel the intense flood of good feelings almost continually throughout the vomiting and experience relief and quiet warmth in my body when I'm finished. It's not identical to an orgasm. I do not feel it intensely in my genitals alone, but I do feel it there as well as the rest of my body and in my mouth. Mouth orgasm? You know, I only get those when I eat food. And that's not even the same thing at all. Yeah. It's a thing. It is a thing. I also read in another article that uh, there are people who just enjoy vomit itself. And they actually go around collecting vomit of other people. And they store it for later use. Bow, chicka, wow, wow. Oh gosh, baby, you're so hot, you're gonna make me throw up. <laughs> vomit does the opposite thing to me once again. If I see someone vomit, I vomit. I'm a, I'm an empathic, em, em, empathetic vomiter. Is that the right word? Empathic, empathetic vomiter? Whichever one. And last on my list for today is number 10, which is called acratomophilia, which is the sexual attraction to amputees. So there is something similar, which is people who are interested and sexually aroused by people with disabilities. Those are called devotees, but acratomophilia is specifically to amputees. So some people find it exciting because of the psychological or physical suffering produced during the act. Anyway, some suggestions include that often the amputated limb uh, are seen as phallic or sexual. So if a person had has, has had a part of their arm removed, the stump may be something that they you want to penetrate or be penetrated with. And this is true. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a phallic-like shape, I suppose. But there are also toys on the market resembling limb stumps. They've gone and made them. I mean, if you can think about it, they'll make it fact. Sorry, side note. I don't know if you guys have seen that one weird, weird toy. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a dragon penis, but it lays eggs. So you get these gelatin eggs inside this thing and you get different sized eggs depending on, you know, how how impregnated you want to be and then and then it eggs into you anyway back to back to what i was saying so 
there are obviously some people who are find it pleasing and arousing to be penetrated with the stump and some people who find it arousing to penetrate somebody with their own stump and alternative alternative theories suggest that there is a sexual fantasy regarding the dominance at play uh, also that it could be that the person wants to care for and look after the, the amputated subject and their caring instincts actually kick in I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that last one, but that's what it said. So yeah, guys, that's that's what I got for you today. I I really hope that you enjoyed this, and I hope that you learned something. Hey, maybe you've got one of these things and you didn't know what it was called. You didn't know that people have these things, and it's okay. Like it's, people have things. That's all I'm gonna say, and it's cool. Be you. Don't ever try and change. Unless, of course, you want to murder people to sleep with their dead bodies. Don't do that. Also, don't eat people. People are friends, not food. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. And I hope that you come back for more. Next week, I will be discussing probably a murder or something gory. So, yeah, I hope that you you enjoy those too. But I appreciate everyone. And I hope you keep it real, man. Okay, bye, bye-bye, ciao.